This is Words with Writers podcast, a podcast about being a writer in Toronto. This is brought to you by Canadian Authors Association's Toronto branch. We're your hosts, Brandy Tanner and Chris Gorman. By day, I work in an airplane factory, and in my free time, I'm working on publishing my first novel. And I'm a freelance writer and photographer in the GTA. I work for nonprofit groups on the side, and of course, my own writing in between. Canadian Authors Association is a membership-based group of writers helping writers since 1921. We're an organization dedicated to promoting a flourishing community of writers across Canada. Every month, we have a special event that brings writers together and connects them with experts in various fields. Usually, our events are in person, but since we're in quarantine right now with the rest of the country, our April event was online. Randy, you attended last month's session, right? I did. Uh, last month's session was on April 23rd. It was Canadian Authors Toronto celebrating National Poetry Month. Uh, it was our virtual event via GoToWebinar. Uh, we had a great time. We had Catherine Graham on, who read from her forthcoming book. We had Therese Mason-Pierre, who gave us a book look which was very fun. Uh, we had the before look where she doesn't have any makeup on at all. And then she goes off screen and does a new makeup look based on the cover of her book. So she came back looking fabulous and she did some readings for us. We also heard a small selection of poems from our open mic guests, uh, authors Toronto members, Pamela Yoon Elferbout, Susanna Molinolo, and Ariane Blackman. Yeah, I've always loved listening to Catherine Graham speak, and although Ariana Blackman's reading was beautiful, and I know you were quite taken with Teresa's makeup. <laughs> I just thought it was so fabulous, but everybody was great on the show, actually. Like, um, Pamela's work always fascinates me, so I love hearing her read her poems as well. Uh, the open mics have been quite popular. We did one the previous month as well. And it's nice where you're just sitting at home anyways. Uh, all you have to do is log into this webinar and listen to people give readings from their own personal work. And it's a great way to pass the time. Yeah. In fact, I think we've actually decided they've been so popular that the open mic nights are going to be our summer series. Exactly. Yeah, we did toss around taking a summer break, and then we thought, you know what, we're all home anyways, let's just do these open mics and give us one night a month, and we can all get together and hear our work. So we're going to keep that up throughout the summer. Exactly. The month of May, however, behind the scenes, Canadian Authors Association is co-administering the Whistler Independent Book Awards which is an amazing award because it gives the same treatment to self-published authors that is usually reserved for traditionally published books. Right now, Canadian Authors Association volunteers across the country are reviewing works that were submitted to the contest. And in the spirit of these awards, our May virtual event this month on May 28th will feature self-published authors Anne Shortell and Michael Newman speaking about the journey that led them to self-publishing their experience as self-published authors, and the process of how they came to finish a novel. Promises to be an engaging discussion 
with half the session devoted to questions from the audience. Check it out at canadianauthors.org slash Toronto slash events. Well, that sounds like yet another great event. I'll definitely be at that one. And I believe you're co-hosting that one, right, Chris? I am, yeah. Myself, Ed Seward, and Susanna Molinello. Wonderful. I can't wait to see you guys at your best. <laughs> We're going to try. <laughs> There's some other exciting things happening around the city and the country that we wanted to let you know about. Right, Brandy? Absolutely, Chris. For instance, there's some great contests going on, one being offered by the Niagara branch of Canadian Authors Association with a deadline of May 31st. It's called the Bannister Annual Poetry Contest. So any poets out there definitely want to look into that. Uh, there's prizes of $300, $200, and $100, and it's open for all residents of Ontario. Another poetry prize with the same deadline of May 31st is the CBC Poetry Prize. Uh, one winner will receive $6,000 from the Canada Council for the Arts for that one. So you definitely want to look into that. And there's also the Eden Mills Writers Festival Literary Contest. That's a festival that goes on every September. Uh, the organizers are keeping an eye on COVID-19's possible impact on their festival dates, but the contest will definitely go on. So you do have until June 15th to enter fiction, nonfiction, or poetry. There's a grand prize of $150, and you get all the perks of attending the festival as an author, and we'll be able to read at the festival. And what I love about that contest is the great exposure it gives emerging writers. There's also some exciting webinars coming up on the Canadian Authors Association homepage. On May 27th, we have a Leveraging Your IP and Maximizing Income in a Digital World by Mark Leslie Lefebvre. He's going to talk to us about traditional publishing, self-publishing, and the benefits of applying a hybrid approach to grow your readership and writing revenue streams. And then on June 17th, we have Krista D. Ball talking to us about going solo, self-publishing tips and tricks for those just starting out. I think both of these webinars sound amazing. They do. I've attended the webinars in the past. They always give great information. Uh, they're always very interesting to be a part of. And another virtual event that you can join is our new CAA Toronto Virtual Writing Circle. It's held on the GoToMeeting platform, and it's a safe space to gather feedback on your works in progress. Our first session date was May 15th. The next one is June 19th, and then it's once every month. Membership is capped at 10 participants to ensure that everyone has a chance to give and receive feedback. So please do email our co-president, Lee Perpert, at TOPresident1 at CanadianAuthors.org if you are interested in participating. So, Brandy, every month we are having a Canadian Authors Toronto member on the show to talk about their work. This month we had the pleasure of sitting down with our special guest, Ed Seward, a local author whose new book, Fair, is just being released. Absolutely. So now is the time to grab your cup of tea, settle in, and listen to our interview with Ed and his reading excerpt from Fair. Mm -hmm. 
So we'd love to welcome our very first podcast guest, Ed Seward. Ed Seward has written a number of short stories and screenplays, including Mother Daughter Happiness, which was a screenplay finalist at the 2019 Pasadena International Film Festival. His new novel, Fair, will be published by the Porcupine's Quill in early 2020. After 30 years in the corporate world, he now spends his time as a writer, a volunteer with Canadian Authors Toronto, and on top of that, splits his time between homes in Georgetown and Santa Monica, California. Uh, Ed, I find I write best when I have an established routine. Um, with spending part of the time in California, do you maintain your writing habits down there? Uh, what about traveling? Are you still able to uh, write while you're on the road? Yeah, so I um, certainly, in the, over the last couple of years, uh, my routine whether I'm uh, you know, in the winters in Santa Monica or, or here back at home in Georgetown, I write every morning. But there was a, was a bit of a lull. I actually did a, uh, um, a blog for um, something called My Small Press Writing Day by a fellow from Ottawa called Rob Clannon. Um, and when I talked about, about it, I noted that after I retired from the corporate world, I had all the time in the world. And what that meant is it took me about a year to get back into routine. It's, it's, it's funny how you suddenly stop valuing uh, something when you have uh, so much of it. But uh, yeah, I'm back into that routine now. Uh, I write uh, every morning until about noon hour. Good. That's awesome. Awesome. And I totally understand what you mean because Right now, I'm not working, and I thought that would mean that I would have a solid month of writing time, but I've found it almost impossible to pick up the pen and start writing, so kudos to you. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. It's a, uh, you know, we're obviously taping this during the time of our great pandemic, and uh, I've had the opposite, and I think it's because of that routine. Once I got back from, uh, from California in, in, a, in a hurry, I found that I got into the routine and I've been writing an awful lot over the last uh, couple of months, so that's good. Yeah, and I'll say I'm kind of in the same boat as Chris. I find somehow the time goes way too fast and way too slow all at the same time, and <laughs> I'm getting a lot more of other things done than writing somehow, so uh, so I'm glad you found a routine and you're getting, you're getting writing done. That's excellent. We'll have to try and follow your lead a little bit more. Absolutely. So, Ed, your, your new novel, Fair, is being published any day now, and you're going to read an excerpt from it in just a moment. But before that, could you tell us a little bit about what Fair is about? Yeah, Fair explores the life of uh, a young homeless man named Ian who lives on the streets of Venice Beach and the large homeless community in downtown L.A., uh, as many people probably know, uh, the downtown L.A. homeless community is the largest in North America. Ian reconnects with a childhood friend who's now a drug addict. Uh, he was also homeless. And through him, uh, meets an enigmatic and uh, perhaps mad professor. And we follow their life, uh, really the Ian and the professor, after uh, Ian's friend uh, cleans up and leaves the streets. And uh, over the course of the novel, they become increasingly terrorized by a, a local drug dealer. And that's how the story plays out. So, Ed, that really sounds like a fascinating story. I know we both can't wait to read it. Um, we've really been looking forward to hearing you give us a little bit of a teaser. 
Um, so, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here's Ed Seward reading from his upcoming novel, Fair. Thanks, Brandy. I'm going to read chapter two, which is a very short chapter. Ian continues to plod through the sand, ignoring the grit collected in his ankle boots. He is ignored by topless men and near-bottomless women, all glistening skin, some with a wet matted hair or salted swimmers. Ian taps his fingers upon his palm. Sometimes he stops and glances into the distance, past everyone, looking at no one. Will his fingers rest, then begin again their steady tap, 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 tap on the palm of his hand. Tap, tap, tap. Ian's mind has always been a timeless sack of memories, movable, unbound and open to the whims of the sea breeze. To Ian, until today, time is unknowable. His memories are unorganized, mere snatches of life. Now, last week, last month, years gone by. Tappity tap tap. He leaves his memories to fly unfettered. He does not restrain their progress. His fingers stop tapping as he turns his other palm downward, using his previously tapping fingers to pull the cuff of his checkered shirt up his arm. He stares at the single stroke of black ink on the top of his wrist. He crushes the one gently, then begins to tap fingers on this black number. Tappity tap tap. This one now captured his time. Ian stops tapping, his arms falling to his sides. He begins again to move through the sand, his feet collapsing away from him at every step. He feels the dense light on the back of his neck as he crosses the smooth concrete bike path and walks through the children's playground near the park office. A cop sits in his black and white cruiser next to a vibrant orange recreation and parks truck. Seeing the cop makes Ian nervous, although the cop does not look at him. Ian dislikes policemen. He distrusts cops. He thinks, the detective will be back on the streets waiting for me. Ian steps onto a patch of grass and continues around the pebbled concrete basketball court, grunting with tall black men and tall black boys. He does not watch them. He moves off the grass and onto the promenade. Everybody calls it the boardwalk, but there are no boards. Promenade or boardwalk, it is packed with people and Ian wonders if it can still be a holiday. Or is it a Sunday? Until now, days named, holidays sorted into long weekends have been unimportant. Until now. Ian stops and briefly lifts his sleeve again and looks upon the black one, beginning of his calendar. He lets the cuff fall back into place and moves along the Venice Beach boardwalk without boards. He shuffles through the streaming crowd of hot pink halter tops and khaki cargo shorts and bright yellow thongs and purple fishnet shirts. Long blonde hair rustles in the gentle sea breeze. Bald, sweaty heads glimmer in the same dense light that pounds the back of Ian's neck. He finds his way untouched through the throng and comes to a rest near a friendly vendor of sunglasses and hats who does not bother Ian with threatening looks. Ian retrieves a cigarette from a knapsack pocket and lights the cigarette. He would offer one to the vendor, but he's busy with a customer. An old lady scuffs her way along the boardwalk without boards. Ian knows her, but not her name. She's very old, tiny, wrinkly, thickly tanned, and almost naked in her lime green bikini. The old woman has a small, brown, mushy head. The first time Ian saw her head, he thought of an apple he once left on his bedside table when he was a boy. He went away with his mother and sister for many weeks, and when he returned, the apple was brown and mushy. When he poked it, his fingers disappeared into the decayed flesh. Ian does not acknowledge the old woman in the bikini as she scuffs past him. 
He looks nowhere as he taps the red embers end of his cigarette onto the palm of his hand. Tap, tap, tap. And a reading. Thank you. Wow, thank you so much, Ed. Um, pretend you're hearing grand applause right now. We won't do it because that would sound bad on the audio, but uh, that was really excellent. You've managed to paint such a great uh, video um, in such short reading. And I've got to say, I really love uh, the imagery with the rotten apple aspect of it and the uh, old lady in her lime green bikini. That's my favorite part. I think I just love the the visual imagery there. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with Brandy. That was an amazing reading. Um, I love the line, until today, time is unknowable, I think it was. Uh, it, it really seems to capture that we're stepping into Ian's life at a time of great change. And it's such a, a short reading, as you said, but you've painted such a good picture of this main character. I was wondering, can you tell us a little bit about where you found the inspiration for Ian? And also for the professor, who we didn't meet in the reading, but reading the back cover sounds quite amazing. Yeah, thanks. Um, so bit, you know, a bit of a long um, explanation here, perhaps, to get to all of that. But the story comes from, um, in, in some ways, something very unrelated, in that years ago, um, probably over a decade ago, 12 years ago, something like that, I was reading a very long essay in the uh, Globe and Mail weekend edition, and it had to do with a uh, young man who was on death row in uh, Los Angeles. And uh, as I was reading it, certainly capital punishment is not something that, uh, that I support, but you read about all of the horrendous crimes this uh, young man committed, his victims. Uh, you started to think, well, if anybody deserved uh, to be on death row, it was this guy. And then the essay turned around and started to talk about his life. He was born with fetal alcohol syndrome. His mother was an alcoholic and a drug addict. He was emotionally, sexually abused uh, as, a, as a child right from infancy on, onward uh, and became, and you hate to use the term, you know, uh, uh, unhuman, but he was, a, it was almost that. It was almost not human at all. Um, by the time he had started to commit these murders. And a couple of things happened. Um, one is the word fair came into my mind. This whole idea, everything that we put with that word, you know, what is fair? Is life fair? All of, all of the baggage that we give the word fair. The other thing is the next day I had this image come to mind, and it was of a young homeless man walking on the sand away from the Santa Monica Pier. At that time, I wasn't spending any time in Santa Monica. We had only been uh, a couple of times on short vacations with my with my family. So that was, you know, the uh, the only real images I had of LA at the time. Um, but I think it, it, it came to me because the this essay had been set there. So that image just sat with me for a long time. And I was writing another novel at the time. I just started to write my first novel called Son of Jack Nasty. So I, I wrote that. And then when I finished that and was trying to find a, a publisher, an agent, um, I returned back to, uh, to this image and, uh, and started to flesh it out. So that, that's the background of where it came from. That's, uh, I loved your explanation where you say all of the baggage we give the word fair. That's a, a very interesting way to, to put that. Uh, you're absolutely right. We do put a lot on that one word. So it's a very good title for this book. And I heard you mention your other book, Son of Jack Nasty. 
which I got to tell you, I love the title. <laughs> That's an excellent title. So we'll ask you more about that one later. But um, from this reading, just, just from this short reading, uh, Ian sounds like an incredibly complex character. And we're wondering your process in building the character itself. I, I get a little bit more about your inspiration now, but, but how did you go about really building the different parts of this character? Right. So it's interesting. So once I you know, had this set in mind, this idea, I had this image, and it, it really, the novel is, in fact, very image-driven. Um, and I, you know, as I said, I'd finished, uh, I'd finished the other novel and was, was looking to try to get it published. Something happened which was, you know, I think very incongruous uh, compared to uh, the novel. At least I think of it that way because I was on a cruise ship of all places doing a Mediterranean cruise with my wife. And um, I had my notebook, and I was turning my attention to, to write fair. And I would get up early in the morning to get up much earlier than my wife, so I'm 6.30 a.m. Uh, having coffee on a cruise ship. And I was struggling with, with how, to, uh, how to start the novel. And you know, to your point of how to get inside this, this character, um, I could see him, but I didn't know him. And one morning I was having a coffee, and I re- remembered a... A childhood friend, probably my best friend when I was six, seven, eight years old, and he was a very innocent young man that had some of his own difficulties. and And as soon as I thought about him, um, the character just opened up for me. I suddenly understood who Ian was. Um, my friend wasn't homeless. Um, in fact, he was part of a very large family. And it wasn't that. It was just some of the the, the gestures, the tapping that you see in chapter two. And uh, there will be some other attributes of the, uh, the character when you read the, the novel that came to me. And out of those few physical attributes and, and the sense of nervousness, the character just opened up for me. And I, I, I understood him. And once I understood that essence, the rest of it's all, you know, it's completely a, a fictional character. But I was able to explore him. At the same time, and again, it's, to me it's bizarre, but uh, I'm on this cruise ship. And as you can imagine, probably the smallest thing in a cruise ship is the library. Um, but they did have a small one. And so, again, I'm waiting for my wife to get up and get going for the day. And I wandered into this library, and I came across this single uh, encyclopedia, uh, just a one-volume encyclopedia. It dealt with um, the history of words and phrases. And I was flipping through it, and I came across a few phrases. The murder of crows, where does, uh, why do we call it? Um, a flock of crows, a murder of crows, and there's a word assassin, how the word assassin came about. And these be, these um, are stories that end up being told within the novel. And I, I was writing them down, and I didn't associate it to the novel at the, at the, at the time, but later I, I really liked these, these stories of these individual words or phrases, and I was wondering, you know, how would I introduce them into the, the novel? And the idea of this professor came to me, and again, once... Once that came to me, I started to think, well, why would a professor be living on, you know, in a homeless community in, in downtown L.A.? And I just started to think about that and, and created this character that became fairly complex and created the, a deep background story for him. He's from Chicago. Once I had those two parts, um, it, really, it really just flowed from there. And again, what I knew is I wanted to be image-driven. So as I started to write the first draft, I wrote the I wrote it as blank verse, simply so I would focus on nothing but images, 
and then turn it into you know more conventional prose style when I wrote the second draft. That's that's very fascinating, Ed. Um, I'm very interested to hear about that. And I'm going to ask one more follow-up question about your character development, which is, did you fully describe and detail your characters before you started? And did you, along that road, did the characters, uh, did the characters surprise you as you were writing it? Or did they stay true to themselves? Um, I guess the, the answer to that question is a little bit of both, meaning I, I certainly had notes and I had sketched out who I thought they were, but it really was a sketch. And so as I wrote the first draft, they became more alive to me, uh, a lot more depth. And I was doing some research, uh, particularly around the professor, because he comes from Chicago, so just some aspects of, of Chicago that um, become pertinent in the, in, in the novel later on as, as, as backstory. So it's really, I suppose, a, a hybrid of both having some detailed notes, but then um, as they flesh that out, just going where it, where it leads. Um, and then at the end, I mean, to me, writing is always editing. So you, you finish with, at the end of the first draft, with, the, with a lot of material and some of it no longer fits and, and uh, you edit from there. Awesome. Uh, so what did your, your research process look like for writing? Like, did you go down and explore Skid Row on one of your trips to Santa Monica? No, I, I finished this novel um, in 2012. And I didn't start going to, uh, to Santa Monica you know, to spend the winters until 2017. So the novel itself um, really sat dormant for a, for a number of years before I returned to it to, uh, to try and uh, publish it. So the research was really online research in terms of the uh, of the downtown homeless community. There's a LA writer by the name of Lopez. He actually ended up uh, writing a book about a uh, cello player. Uh, became a became a movie. I didn't read the book, but I had read some of his articles from I don't know 2007 2008 that I could find online just to give me some sense. But I didn't. Uh, I purposely didn't read his. Uh, it's not a fiction book because I didn't want to be that deeply influenced. So once I had a sense of it, I, uh, I, 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 went from, I went from there. It's amazing, you know, online now what you can do by going in and, and, and just looking at Google Maps, for example, and, uh, and exploring uh, areas that way. And I did the same, a little bit of setting the backstory for, the, uh, for Chicago, for the store, or for the professor. Now, I've been to Chicago a couple of times, um, not in any great detail. So that was, that was really the approach. I'm wondering, you said that the novel kind of sat on the shelf since 2012. Um, is there any reason that you decided to come out now? What was kind of the, uh, the, the thing that happened that made you want to uh, publish it now? So what happened is, as I said, when I started to write Fair, I was also in the process of trying to have my first novel published, which, which hasn't happened, uh, Son of Jack Nasty. So I'd gone through the process of first uh, querying agents um, and then uh, when it wasn't successful querying publishers that you can approach directly because some of the larger publishers uh, will only deal with agents. And when I finished FAIR, I was, so I was unsuccessful with, with Jack Nasty. When I finished FAIR, I went out to, uh, there was a, a contest or two that um, I sent it to and wasn't successful. 
And I was starting the, the query process, and then I realized something in my personal life, which was I was getting awful close to the end of my uh, my corporate career, um, and that would be you know retiring from the day job. I hate to use the word retiring because I don't feel like I'm retiring now. I just feel like I'm a full-time writer as opposed to a part-time writer. But that was going to allow me a lot more time to do the querying. And I'd also said to myself that I was going to give traditional publishing one more um, shot by, uh, again, publishing agents and, uh, and publishers. And if I wasn't successful, if I, if I didn't get there, then I would look at self-publishing in some fashion, and I'd want the time for that. So I just decided to, to set it aside, knowing that I would have a lot more time in the future. And I wrote other things, including Mother Daughter Happiness and a, and a third novel. Which I, right now is again sitting on the shelf as I write something else. So I that was my approach. And then um, in 2017, after I stopped working, as I said, I procrastinated for almost a year, or really a year. And in 2018, when I went back to Santa Monica, um, I'd met somebody, uh, a writer there, who I asked to take a look at it, do some uh, some editing. And at that time, I started the query process, which ended up uh, taking almost another full year but was successful with Porcupine's Quill, reaching out and agreeing to publish it. Well, great. I'm glad that uh, you've gone through the process so we can read this great-sounding novel. (laughs) Um, I know you're in the process of planning a virtual launch, so do you have any information you can give us on that now, or will that be announced on your website? Are there any other avenues where listeners can follow you? Yeah, so... um... I've been spending the last few months um, putting together a, uh, a fairly detailed plan of how it might roll this novel out, and then of course uh, the uh, the virus hit, and we're all uh, we're all scrambling and, and, and changing our lives. So one of the things I've actually talked to Chris about is how to do Facebook uh, live launches, and that's that's what I'll do. I don't have a date yet. The novel has been has been completely edited and proofread. So we finished that. So it's really just about going to, uh, to have it printed, and Porcupine Scroll does that themselves. So there's been been some delay in that, along with everything else. So the book in, isn't available just yet. So we're going to wait for the physical book to be available, um, and that will drive the timing. Uh, as you mentioned, my uh, website, edseward.com, will, I'll announce all the details there. I'm also active on Twitter. People want to follow me on Twitter at edseward. Um, and that's how I'll get the word out and through Facebook and do a, a virtual launch that way. And then down the road, maybe support it with physical readings if and when that becomes uh, available in society again. It's a different time right now, and we're having to uh, come up with all sorts of out-of-the-box solutions to problems we never thought would exist when we first dreamt of launching our books. So, Ed, where, where will listeners be able to purchase Fair once it does become available? Well, it'll be you know available in some bookstores, independent bookstores, of course, uh, when they open again. But certainly on you know through my website, through Porcupine's Quill, some of the other online um, avenues that people use, the online retailers. So that'll all be um, uh, available. So again, if bookstores don't open for a while, you'll be able to uh, order it online. And again. Um, by reaching out to me, I'll be able to uh, to make the book available to uh, to people directly. Awesome. So I think that concludes our first portion of the interview. Um, what do you think, Brandy? 
Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was awesome. I really enjoyed hearing about your inspiration for the novel and how you built your character. But we do have some more questions for you, so you can't go anywhere. We're wondering more about the. Uh, <laughs> we still got you. We're wondering uh, more about the business side of things because we know many of our listeners are in the process of writing their own novels, poetry, short stories. So we want to know a little bit about how you got to a finished published novel because that can be a very difficult process. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So Ed, this, this one was a tough one for me in writing my own book. And I've spoken with several other emerging authors who have struggled with the same thing. How did you know that you were finished? It was time to seal and send the drafts to the publisher. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the answer to the question is, is an old answer, which is a novel is finished when you say it is. And, and I think that's, you know, I, I don't think you can get any more profound uh, um, or simple um, either way than that. Um, again, for me, because I'd sat for a long time, and I'd read that advice when I read, wrote my first novel, but I wasn't going to be patient to just set it aside. Um, but I do think that in retrospect, being able to set it aside for, for a few years for you know the reasons I had mentioned earlier um, was helpful. You know, having somebody look at it and edit it, one of the things that was helpful for me is they were really just copy edits. Um, there was nothing about the novel. Uh, a friend of mine um, in Santa Monica, Saul Isler, who, uh, who did the edit for me to help me prepare it to, to, to send it to uh, publishers and agents. There was nothing about the novel um, that structurally that uh, stood out for him at all. Again, it was all just copy edit. So that confirmed to me that I was, uh, I was ready to, uh, to, to go forward. You know, my, my only um, thoughts to, uh, to people who are in that situation is um, to just be as honest as you can about yourself. Is it as polished as you can make it? And you, and you have to answer that question for yourself. Certainly sharing it if you, if you have trusted readers and not people that are going to give you, uh, you know, an attaboy, a patch on the back because you finished a novel, but, but people that are uh, maybe also in the process of writing themselves and who will be critical and who will be honest, even if they're not in love with the story. It's more about the writing, and again, so I, you know, use the word as polished as it can be, and you and you just have to finally make that decision yourself. Yeah, as much as we all love pats on the back, it's not as helpful when it comes to editing your book, that's for sure. Uh, can you tell us about how long do you think it took you to write the book? Well, again, as I said earlier, um, because I'd set it aside, um, there's different stages of this, but uh, it was about a year to write the novel. Again, I'm talking about writing only on weekends at the time. I wrote it when I was, uh, was still working full-time, so my discipline was uh, every Saturday and Sunday morning, I'd sit down at the computer, you know, somewhere between six and seven o'clock in the morning and write until noon. And often when I had some vacation time, if I wasn't traveling somewhere, then I would use days off to, uh, to write. So it was a year, maybe a year and a half to, uh, to finish it. And that's when then I set it aside and then came back to it. And every once in a while, I'd pull it out and reread it and make very minor edits. But again, back to my word polishing just keep polishing it up a, a little bit so a year year and a half to write it then it sat for a long time before I, I actually sent it out to publishers that's a huge investment of time but it's all going to be worth it 
So, Ed, is there any advice you can offer aspiring writers? I'm wary of giving people ad advice because I think we're all on our own journey. Um, so maybe the overall advice I would give is really just understand yourself. Um, and I think you know, that goes for more than just writing. But when it comes to writing, I think you have to decide you know, what you want um, and, 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 and go from there. Um, if you want to be traditionally published, you need to understand uh, the barriers um, in terms of, of the time it takes to approach um, agents and, uh, and publishers and the fact that you can't go to the largest publishers directly, you need an agent. Um, and that if you're going to go to the smaller publishers, they are inundated with manuscripts and it takes them a long time to get through them. So if you want to be traditionally published, you, you need to be patient. Um, and if, if that's not the avenue you want to go down, um, then there's all kinds of, of uh, other avenues that you can look at. Um, but those are the things you really need to make decisions about yourself and, 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 and where you're trying to get to. And everybody um, can have a, you know, a, a different answer, or at least a different reason for coming to their answer. And I think that's where people need to be honest uh, to themselves about their writing, about their writing process, and about where they want to get to. Absolutely. And how has it been working with Porcupine's Quill, Ed? Uh, it's, been, it's been great. Um, the interesting thing for me is the, because uh, they're very small publisher, um, the acquisition editor, or the, the, she was working in that capacity, um, her name's uh, Chandra, um, and uh, she's a, she's a, uh, you know, a free agent, um, not even a contract employee, she just, you know, works with them on a time-to-time uh, -time basis, and it was her that, um, in her capacity date, asked her to read incoming manuscripts um, that had reached out to me. And then she became my, my editor the first time through. The, uh, the other, uh, the, the key employee for, um, for Porcupine Squirrel named Stephanie Small, who does all of the, all of the marketing um, and also does, uh, does editing um, herself. Um, she was great to work with in terms of uh, understanding the process because it is a step-by-step -step process. And of course, um, with Tim and Elk Inkster at the uh, Porcupine Squirrel, they do the uh, the actual printing. They have their own printing presses and do the printing there. And Tim does all of the uh, the layout. So it was interesting to get his input in terms of how he wanted to lay it out. Fair will actually um, be illustrated. He uh, he came across a, a series of illustrations of uh, Paradise Lost from the end of the 19th century that he wanted to use uh, throughout. Is uh, one of the things in the novel is the professor reads to Ian from uh, Paradise Lost, it's, it's central to the novel. And uh, he thought that would enhance the, uh, the reading experience. So all of this um, in the last year and a half has been, uh, been tremendous in terms of uh, each step and the detail that everyone puts to it. So I've been, I've been quite pleased. That's awesome, Ed. Thank you so much for spending your day with us or your afternoon. This has been amazing. I'm so excited to read the actual novel. Yes, it's been a pleasure hearing your reading and, and just how you, you went about getting the novel published. I love to hear about your inspiration. It was truly excellent. Is there anything else 
you want to share with us before we let you go about your day? <laughs> no, I really just, um, I, you know, again, as the people listening to this will know, it's the inaugural uh, podcast. So um, it's just my thanks to uh, both of you for the time you're taking in, in launching this. I think uh, this is uh, an excellent uh, uh, bit of business by uh, uh, Canadian Authors Association, Authors Toronto. And I think it's uh, it's important that um, you know writers helping writer writers is the uh, motto of uh, Canadian authors, and so um, I appreciate uh, the efforts that uh, you folks are putting in to launch this podcast, and uh, it's uh, quite the honor to be the first interviewee. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. We're not- thrilled to have you as our first guest. <laughs> our very first podcast guest, Ed Seward. Thank you so much, Ed, for being on the show, uh, for giving the great reading from his new book, Fair, and taking us through the process of writing and publishing. We have a lot of members working on exciting new things right now. One of our members, Parabi Doss, has launched a new ebook called What Will It Be This Time? It's her debut collection of personal essays that takes us on a journey through a series of delightful vignettes of family and relationships during her growing years in India. You can find What Will It Be This Time on Amazon. I look forward to reading that one. Michael Newman's new book, Between These Walls, was also just released. His book launch is scheduled for May 14th, so by the time this podcast is aired, it will have just happened, and I know we're both excited to attend it. The book is a voyage of discovery from 1980s America through the rise of Hitler, World War II, the Holocaust, and three Middle East wars. Several very challenging topics. Oh yeah, that sounds like an intense read. I can't wait to attend the launch and see where I can pick the book up. Exactly. And if you didn't catch those, or if you're driving and can't write them down, these announcements are also available on our Facebook page at Canadian Authors Association Toronto Branch. If you have something that was or will be released in 2020, please let us know so we can give you a shout out on the show. Just email me at ba tanner photos p-h-o-t-o-s at zoho.com that's z-o-h-o or you can email chris at cj gorman at gmail.com so that concludes the very first words with writers podcast from canadian authors association toronto branch We look forward to seeing you at our virtual event on May 28th, and we will talk to you again on the podcast next month on June 20th. A big thank you to all of our listeners out there and to our special guest, Ed Seward. And if you're not a member and you want to join, 
please visit canadianauthors.org slash national slash join. And we're recording this on a very special day. Today is Mother's Day. So we just want to take a moment and say thank you to all the wonderful mothers out there. And a very big happy Mother's Day to you all. Thank you, moms. (laughs) Thank you, moms.